I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles now to John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. John 3, 13 through 15. As we continue in our Advent series, the highest, Christ above all things. And this is the Word of God. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This morning I have two pictures for you. The first picture, I want you to think about the most beautiful uh, Christmas card of the Holy Family that you've ever seen. Of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and maybe they're all in clothes and they have that adoring look uh, of Jesus as she is holding them. I almost put one, a picture of one of those on the visual behind me. I kind of looked at several uh, the companies that sell them. You can certainly look at them. And I'm thinking of one particularly in, in, in my mind's eye that Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus is so idealized. They all have halos. You know, and it's bright, and it's just so loving, and it's so intimate, it's so tender. And Mary holds Jesus, and they, they just gaze adoringly at their son. Can you see this, this Christmas card scene in your mind? You've seen those before. Birth is one of the most intimate and amazing things that any human being can experience. Both being born, I suppose, though none of us remember, but particularly giving birth. And if you're like me, people who observed people giving birth, uh, trying hard to be a participant and a help, but that's a different story. And the moment of pain that gives way to, to a lonely cry, and a child being raised up that, that almost feels alien and yours at the same time. And this amazing feeling of birth. And I remember that when our oldest child, Sarah Caitlin, was born and they prepared her and I got to take Sarah Caitlin, about this big, to her mother. And how special that was. In fact... I did it, repeated that with, with Emily, and we have me on uh, VHS uh, home video, almost stupidly joyful, um, saying as I go with Sarah Caitlin, coming to you, mommy. <laughs> we have a joke about that in our house. And then the embrace and the tears and just the group hug almost, the satisfaction, the joy the anticipation, the blessing. I want you to see the picture of this intimate family welcoming Jesus into their hearts, into their family, into the world. I want you to see the light of a low-hanging star and, and something of, of the brightness of heaven shining in on this moment. I want you to think about the joy that will spread from this makeshift room, really a stable, that will tumble out 
over the next 33 years and beyond to a, a world in desperate need of peace and love and joy. And not only is there light, right? There's sounds that come with it. Just right there nearby, shepherds encounter angels upon angels and the breaking forth of glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men, and and just the overwhelming glory of God shining through. And the sounds of angels and a newborn. And love and light and glory and... All of these things. It's beautiful, isn't it? In a mother's sweet embrace. That's the one picture. Got it? But I hear the rolling of distant thunder. And I see darkness at a time when it's not supposed to be dark. At noon. And I feel the ground tremble and shake at this second picture. Of Jesus no longer being adored, but now he has come to his hour of agony, and the sounds of angels and the sounds of a baby's cry is giving way to his screams of pain. Can you see this picture? I want you to realize that this is not intimate, this is public, this is not nurturing. This is torturing. I want you to look out with me from the holy city, Jerusalem, out to the outskirts of town in the darkness of noon. I want you to see a hill called Golgotha. I want you to see three crosses on top of that hill. And I want you to realize with me that the person in the middle should not be there. But he's there because he wants to be there. Because you see, the highest came down so that he could be lifted up in the middle of two thieves on a rolling a Roman cross. And so do you see it? It's the utter opposite of the birth. As beautiful and as serene and as hopeful as the birth is, this is equally and even more so. It's hideous. Now I know there's an underlying beauty because our salvation will come through it. But it is hideous. It is torturous. It's the worst thing you've ever looked at in your whole life. As one from whom men hide their faces. There He is. There He is. Nailed to a cross. These these hands, they're adult hands now, aren't they? Right through the hands. Fastened to a cross. Uh, There is blood spattering off of Jesus Thicker than the blood sprinkled by Aaron on any altar of sacrifice. In his great sacrifice. He's between two thieves and yet, and surrounded by people. Many of whom scorn and yet he is utterly alone. He has been isolated by God. For the specific purpose of God's wrath intended for me and you to be poured out on Him and Him alone. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Nothing like this will ever happen again. He is the overlap of heaven and earth. He is the one true mediator. The Lamb of God. The final sacrifice to assuage the anger and wrath of God. 
In fact, the word excruciating literally means ex, out of, cruciating, cross, out of the cross. The worst word we have for pain literally talks about His pain. And we will never have pain like His pain. You see, He is the unique Son of God and the unique Son of Man. And this was His mission. The highest came down from the throne room to the womb. From the womb to the manger. And from the manger to be lifted up on a pole. Lifted up on a cross. And He is lifted up in shame and pain. Our shame and His pain. And there's a part of me that just wants to run back to that airbrushed, idealized manger scene. Oh, hide me from this darkness. Hide me from the ugliness. Hide me from the thunder and the agony. I just want to bask in Christmas. I just want to have that, that warm, fuzzy feeling of the, the birth of the, of the newborn king. I want to be there with the Holy Family. I want to be in that group hug. But our text says that we must look at the cross. In fact, we don't need to just look at it. We need to stare at it. You cannot stay in the manger. You have to stare at the hideous thing. You have to see the darkness. You have to see, hear the thunder, and hear the words barely squeezed out of His lungs, which are in the process hanging and suffocating, barely squeezed out, Elay, Elay, Lama Zabachmani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In our text, in John chapter 3, Jesus is in the middle of a conversation with one of the teachers of the Old Testament law of Israel. His name is Nicodemus. He's one of the Pharisees. And Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night because the Pharisees are questioning who Jesus is and there's a lot of stuff going on and he doesn't want everybody to see that he's coming to Jesus. He's beginning to wonder if maybe Jesus is the one and only. And he asks Jesus what must be done for him to enter the kingdom of God. And in our text, Jesus says to Nicodemus that he has come down from heaven and no one has ascended to heaven except the one who came down from heaven. He has come down from heaven to be lifted up on a pole that whoever looks at him and believes will be saved. And it's interesting, in the Gospel of John, which is what this is, the word to lift up exclusively refers to the crucifixion. So he's talking about his own crucifixion. And, and what Jesus does at this moment is Jesus helps the Old Testament scholar by, by going to a scene in the Old Testament to explain the cross. He goes to Numbers 21. Now, we need to understand what happened in Numbers 21, don't we? After Egypt, after the ten plagues, after the Red Sea, after all the glories of God, they rebelled against God. They didn't believe anymore Kind of like us, right? And in their rebellion, there were suddenly lots of snakes, serpents everywhere, and they, they were biting the Israelites. And, and the text actually says, it's really interesting that the bites just felt like fire. And once you were bitten by one of these serpents, you were terminal. You were done. It's just a matter of time 
until you died. And so they were being snake bitten. They were dying. And they came to Moses because Moses is the one who, you know, talked with God. And they said, Moses, we have sinned. Please do something on our behalf. And the Lord instructed Moses to fashion, uh, to fasten rather, a bronze snake, a bronze serpent on top of a pole and to lift up this pole and whoever looked at the bronze snake would be cured. And whoever refused to look died. So what is Jesus saying to Nicodemus from Numbers 21? What he's saying is that when it comes to God, we're snake bitten and we're going to perish. There's no hope. We are snake bitten by our own sin. We're dying. He's three times holy. We cannot reform ourselves. We're snake bitten. We're done. It's over. And without God doing something for us, there's no hope. But Christ being lifted up on a pole, he says, is going to be the source of our spiritual and eternal healing. Jesus says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now the snake lifted up in the wilderness brought physical healing, right? Christ lifted up brings spiritual healing, brings a relationship with God and a, and a restoration of what God uh, wanted to give mankind in a relationship with Him. And we are snake-bitten by our sin, but God has an answer for our perishing. This is so good. That does not depend on us. Let me say that again. God's answer for our perishing does not depend on us. That's the good news, isn't it? See, God didn't say, here are the ten things you need to do, and if you do them, I'll love you. Or here's the ten things, and I know you did nine, and if you say you're sorry for one, but you didn't really say, uh-uh, no. No, God's remedy is something that we don't do. Jesus is saying that this is the reason He came down, to be lifted up so that people, if they believe, will not perish. And so Christ Himself is the answer, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. That's why the highest came down. And if we believe, if we put our trust in what He has done, rather than what we do to be accepted by God, we are made brand new. We are forgiven forever. We are loved with an unconditional and eternal love that will never go away. We are the sons and daughters of God based on what He has done. Now, I'd like to go back to that idealized Christmas card. One more time with the Holy Family, okay? With the halos. A few days ago, my email update from Christianity Today, I take that periodical, including a, included a, a real interesting article that I want to read some from you called Let Advent Break Your Heart. The author of this is uh, Lewan Huska. That's a great name, Lewan Huska. Lewan Huska is writing this as a pregnant woman about to give birth, meditating on what it was like for Mary to give birth and what Advent meant and the, and, and the Son of God being born. And she says, quote, as we 
enter Advent this year, I am increasingly, increasingly aware of the darkness of the world into which I am bringing my child due any day now. It's deeply disturbing to realize this. Welcome, little one, to a place where kids are shot in schools or on street corners, where wars, rage, and corporate interests trump the common good. The things I see and hear about every day rattle my heart. She goes on to say, Growing up with an overprotective mother, I told myself that I would never be that fearful and worried about my own children. But now I realize that this is only natural. The small fists and knees jabbing my insides put my inner mother bear on 24-7 high alert. That's a great sentence, isn't it? But she goes on to say, But Advent is a call to stare darkness in the face and keep being present, holding out hope for something more powerful than destruction and death. And then she says, Our God did what every mother would shudder to do. He sent His child directly into the heart of evil without any protection. From me. For us. The highest came down. Love came down. In order to be lifted up on a cross. And so I ask you this question. So will you look? Will you look? And even more important, will you believe? Are we just... Keep trying to do it your own way. Will you take full responsibility for your life before God and try to please Him and try to do this and try to keep tabs on all this? Or, or will you believe? You know, our, our text that, that, that we just read is followed by a text you may have heard before. It goes like this, the very next verse. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that those who believe on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You ever heard that before? Yeah, the most popular. That's, what it, that's about the Christ being lifted up, like the serpent in the wilderness. And Christmas is about Jesus. And Christmas is about belief. And one of the scholars, the, the commentators, put it very well. He said, belief is about accepting something, not doing something. The result of belief is that one receives eternal life. That person, hear these words, is set free from condemnation and lives in a relationship of total honesty with God because he does not fear having his real self exposed before God. Why? Because his real self has already been exposed. His sin has already been exposed and his sin has already been dealt with from top to bottom it is finished. It is settled. This is Christmas. You can't improve it. You can't take away from it. It's grace. And we need to look. All of us need to look. If you've never believed, you know, maybe you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, and it could be that, I mean, even right this moment, you're like, I get it. I, I can't do it myself. 
If you've never believed, this is precisely the moment as you put your trust in what He has done as He's been lifted up for us precisely the moment you're forgiven of all your sins from here on out. This is precisely the moment where you are loved and brought into God's family and you will always be loved, accepted and cherished by God based on what Christ has done on your behalf. Merry Christmas. You put your trust in Jesus, Merry Christmas. But you know, believers need to to look as well. It's because when we look at the cross, it helps us to lay down the games that we play with God. How is it that people could come through the Red Sea, the ten plagues of Egypt, have manna in the desert, and still rebel against God? Well, we get it. We get it. How is it that we can understand God's grace, come to Him, and still do some kind of an algebra with God? Oh God, I know I made a mistake and I'm going to do five good things to make up for that. And, you know, if I do this, then you'll like me. And maybe if I don't do that, you'll like me. And I mean, just no. No. Enough. Because when we look at the cross, this is suddenly about Him and not us. This is settled. This is where we rest while we pursue Jesus by faith. You see, we can turn to Him and rest in what He has done for us. And we can open our hearts to His healing by looking at Jesus lifted up. Are you hurt? Then look. Let Him melt your heart by what He's done for you. Let Him love you. Let Him secure you in your hurt. Look. Are you disappointed? Then look. Are you afraid? Then look. This is God. This is the one from before all worlds has planned and has good plans for His people. Look and know, yet again, I belong to Him. Are you overcome with guilt? Then look and repent and say, I know that this is forgiven. And I want to quit running from you. And I want to quit doing algebra with you. And I just want to repent in your embrace. You see, He will always embrace us because of the cross. You believe that? The highest came down, throne room to womb. Manger sing, angels sing to the cross. And this Christmas needs to be about Jesus. And this Christmas could be for us and through us a new beginning of grace and hope and peace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you actually became a man. Because we could not rise to you, you came to us. Because we cannot do the works necessary that the only work truly is to believe in the one you have sent and you have done it all. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man was lifted up. 
We thank You for those two pictures. And we see the beauty in both of them. If you've never put your trust in Christ and you, you get it and you'd like to, pray with me, Lord, I see it. And I want to turn from everything that I've called religion and everything that I've called Christianity and I want to put my trust, Jesus, believing in You and what You have done for me. Thank You that even now You've forgiven me. Even now You've come into my life. Even now Your love is upon me. Thank You that You will always be there. Lord, I pray that, that You would help me to, to seek this peace that is only found in belief current belief in your sacrifice for me. And use me, Lord, to spread this good news. But Lord, there are many of us who have walked with you and we know you, and yet there's so much that goes bump in the night. There's so much that we're afraid of. There's so many things that we feel like we've got to get out ahead of, we've got to respond to. We feel that we have to manipulate people, intimidate people, Lord, would you show us as your people that this is utterly exhausting and lunacy when we could be living in your grace, in your forgiveness, in your love, and extending that forgiveness and love to others. Lord, this Advent and this Christmas season, we pray that you would lift up Jesus in our hearts and that we would taste and see yet again that you are good that we would drink from the cool clear headwaters of your grace and be refreshed and Lord that you would allow us to love in your name and you love through us that others might experience the real meaning of Christmas we pray in Jesus name Amen.